Welcome to The Landscape, a podcast to shed light on the people, programs, and businesses that are changing the landscape for individuals with any type of disability. I'm your host, Nave Eldar. Today's episode will feature Debbie Becker, a Senior Research Associate with Individual Placement Support, which is the gold standard research-based method of support employment for individuals with serious mental illness. The method also ripples beyond service providers as they are a model for the power of local and international collaboration. We start with Debbie speaking about how they decided to research employment. Actually, um, our team had been researching other topics. Uh, Bob Drake, who um, is our leader and was our leader at the Dartmouth Psychiatric Research Center, uh, was very interested in dual diagnosis and so had been uh, working in that area with his research. But then he was asked to collaborate on a research grant with Bill Anthony, actually, from Boston University. And uh, Bill wanted to research a, a program in New Hampshire that did something close to what they do, the choose, get, keep. And so Bob um, knew me from working at uh, our local mental health center together. And so he actually recruited me to help with this grant and we developed IPS for that grant is what happened. IPS, as you know, stands for individual placement and support. So it was it was a randomized controlled trial where IPS was compared to this other model. And so Bob has always been interested in services for people with serious mental illness. So of course, employment um, was one of those areas. And so he, he wanted to do it. And, and it just uh, became the focus of my career. But but also in large part our our center. So can you explain very briefly what is randomized trials and and why they're important? Yeah, okay. So a randomized controlled trial is used to test two or three different interventions to see which one is most effective. And so when we did... um, they sometimes call them RCTs for short, a randomized controlled trial for employment, we would go into a mental health center and ask people, clients being served, would you be interested in being part of a study to learn which two employment interventions are more, which one is more effective? And so it's like a flip of a coin People who say, yes, I want to be part of this study. I understand intervention A. I understand intervention B. Um, I will sign up. And so by a flip of the coin, they would get one of the two interventions, which they would then participate in. And then all things being equal, we would see which intervention had better employment outcomes. Right. And so what were the findings year one? Which well, would have been 1996, correct? Yeah. So we don't look at the findings till the end of the study. Okay. So it's a three-year study, and IPS uh, had many more people go to work than the other intervention. And that's really been replicated now in 26 of 27 studies worldwide. The only one um, that was not... Uh, 
that was borderline significant, meaning borderline um, close to making being significantly different was in mainland China. But otherwise, IPS has been studied in these RCTs around the world. And so what are some of the elements that make IPS different from these other methods? Okay, so traditional employment services were more stepwise. The thinking was we need to help people pre prepare for going to work. So that might be in a sheltered workshop where they would practice going to work on time and staying on task. Um, they might uh, be asked to go to um, be on a work crew after that out in the community or they might be asked to volunteer to show that they can be successful working. But IPS, Individual Placement and Support, took a different tack that, that people didn't really need that. What was important was to understand who the individual is, what their skills are, what they've done in the past, what do they want to do, and try to figure out where that is out there in the work world. And so, um, People didn't drop out of these, you know, IPS. They wanted to stay in. They wanted to get work. They didn't want to have it postponed while they were doing, supposed to do vocational assessments, vocational evaluations. And I think that's what's helped to make it successful is because we're honoring what people want. They want to go to work. And so, and we're listening to what they want to do. So um, people's preferences are extremely important for the type of work, the kinds of job supports that they have. And so I think, you know, that that is a huge difference. Another big difference is that it's really a team approach. And so the, the IPS specialists, they um, connect with the mental health treatment team. And so they're part of the team and they, they plan together and they, um, propose ideas to suggest to the individual about going to work. They, they know that what their skills are. And, and previously it really had, they were not integrated services. It, the thinking was that employment services are better separate, but that didn't turn out to be the case. It's interesting because, so you have a fidel it's a fidelity model. Um, and then, but you also, on top of the fidelity, you have eight principles. And I, I was reading over those to refresh my memory. And, um, and I picked the two that you named because I, I said if there were two game changers from what I saw that just really challenged people's, um, really everything that ever been taught, one was zero exclusion. Mm -hmm. Um, because as you know, as soon as you say it, people look at you like you're, you're you know, you, you're just doing the wrong thing. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about zero exclusion? And was that implemented from the very beginning? It was. We started, I think, with six principles. We now have eight. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the six. And the, the idea is that we're not going to screen people out who've had problems with the justice system, people who are using alcohol and drugs. That's a big one for mm -hmm. uh, a lot of clinicians and other agencies. They don't think people should be able to uh, use these services and go to work successfully. But the thing is, is that people need a reason to not use, right? And right. so work becomes um, 
you know, a motivator for people to not use as much or to figure out when they're going to use and have it not have it interfere with work. So the zero exclusion is a tough one for a lot of people, a lot of clinicians, because they think they can predict who's going to go to work and who's not going to go to work. And I can remember um, being a project director for several of these studies, and I would go and um, and tell the the consumers about the possible study, and then clinicians would hear that they were randomly assigned to IPS, and they'd say, oh, it's never going to work. John's not going to go to work. And guess who was the first one to go to work with IPS? It was John. John, right. Exactly. You know, it was a huge challenge for all vocational rehabilitation because they had a policy that if somebody was recently released from the hospital or if somebody was actively drinking, for example, Mm -hmm. that they would not serve them. And so IPS became their only letter of agreement, which is what we call it here in Tennessee. I don't know if it's called that everywhere, um, that allows for for those individuals to be admitted. Like, you cannot turn anybody down. And I will say, whenever I'm around VR counselors in a meeting and IPS comes up, they cheer because mm-hmm. it, they have such good outcomes from it. Um, I know you kind of downplayed it a little, but you you in some cases, you doubled and tripled the outcomes of people who are going to work. Right. Absolutely. And and today there are still people um, in state vocational re- rehabilitation who haven't been uh, exposed a lot to IPS and still question whether this makes sense. But how it comes to make sense is that they see that IPS is going to help them get their better outcomes right. and, and see people doing better. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's a shift in thinking, really. It is, and and we there was a therapist on a team, and and she became one of the biggest cheerleaders because she thought we were absolutely going to be a train wreck, right? Like that this person's going to go to work, or these individuals are going to go to work that aren't quote unquote stable, um, and and they're going to lose their job. And it took you know, one or two successes for her to realize, oh my gosh, the research is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and also I think it's worth mentioning that people tend to go through two or three different jobs before they may settle into one. And so, um, you know, we can't expect that people, as we all did, right? Right. In our work careers that, um, you know, the people may end up going through a couple different jobs before they really figure out what what's the right one for them. Mm-hmm. And is it just the percentage of people that found a job that increased or that, were there other data points that increased like hours worked or income or anything like that? Well, because more people went to work, those mm-hmm. those um, data points increased as well. But there were fewer dropouts in IPS programs compared to the other interventions that have been studied, and that they work more hours, earn more money, um, and they're more satisfied. So one of the the reasons, like if, if you're reading about it, is this concept of recovery from mental illness. And so people that don't work in the field have no idea what that means. So can you speak a little bit about what is recovery from mental illness? Yeah. So recovery doesn't mean that all symptoms are necessarily going to cease, 
but it's really that people are going to go past that in their lives and they're going to have functional lives and they're going to um, have a work life or they um, are going to live more independently than they have in the past. So the focus is not on the disability and what are the barriers, but it's going forward and having a life and having a life for most people includes having some kind of imp meaningful employment and it may be going to school as well to have a um, career advancement but and and living independently and and having some kind of social uh, network that's important to them and so um, people I think IPS really has been successful around because of the timing and it was at the time that sort of strengths-based services Charlie Rapp started writing about and and the recovery movement in which people said people with a lived experience said we want more and we want to make decisions and we don't want um, the practitioners telling us what to do imagine that <laughs> um, and, and one of the things that I was drawn to IPS for immediately was the fact that it was research-based because like you said our intuition with the disability community has been pretty terrible when you think about it like we we think they can't or they should be in like you said enclaves or or mobile work crews or things like that and um, very little has been done to take what they wanted in consideration and then to see are we right or are we wrong and so that's that was that's the beauty of research and it's just um it's just lacking is there is there any other populations that you're looking at besides individuals with severe and persistent mental illness oh yes ips is spreading to lots of different populations even people with physical disabilities so people um, with spinal cord injuries, and this is being studied in the Veterans Administration. But also um, in Europe, they're studying people with common mental disorders, and so um, they're they're studying IPS with refugees, and so um, people with intellectual disabilities, autism spectrum disorder. So there's there's really been uh, a spread over many different populations and and vocation you mentioned state vocational rehabilitation that's occurring in a number of states and um, Illinois for example are is spreading IPS very widely across different populations interesting I know here in Tennessee we are piloting some programs with um, the dual diagnosis of an intellectual and developmental disability with a mental illness mm -hmm. um, and so that's something where it's a very uh, it's a population that that is often doesn't have specialized services for them. Like they they want to give them one or the other. So um, we're very excited just to see what the outcomes will be for that. Yeah, I think what what makes that um, easily applied to different populations is that IPS is a very practical approach and it's very individualized. So we. Um, you know, if you look at the fidelity scale, we have a 25-item fidelity scale, and they'll talk about integrating with mental health treatment. Well, if they're going to be serving a different population, you can still use the scale. You can still use the principles. You would just change the word mental health treatment team to the team of people that are serving that population. Right, right. Um, 
how do you validate somebody's score on the fidelity scale? How, how do you oversee that? So Gary Bond has uh, done tremendous work in terms of validating fidelity scales, and he helped to validate um, the 15-item uh, IPS scale. And as we learned more, that's another thing about IPS, is that as we learn, we change things, we add things. And so we have the 25-item scale that he validated. So what that means is that the higher your score, the better your score on the scale, the total scale score, the better employment outcomes that you're going to have is what he found. Okay. And who is it a self-assessment? No, 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 no. <laughs> we don't self-assess very well. And we have found that that some sites will think they're doing fabulous where outside objective reviewers would not agree with that. Or we've had sites that have tried these self-assessments that are just really hard on themselves, and that doesn't work either. So we um, try to train sites and states to have um, trained fidelity reviewers who can objectively come in and score. They visit a site for a day and a half to two days to look at um, – activities and documentation that's used to score the 25 items. Now, not all um, states may have enough fidelity reviewers, so it may be that um, somebody in QA or uh, within a, a large agency could be trained. We recommend having two uh, fidelity reviewers for a review. Okay. Now, I, one thing I was surprised about is, so my program we want it to go off fidelity a little bit. So part of part of the fidelity is that one person does all the services for an individual. So it's not nobody's handing off okay. um, for different times. And my program wanted to try having a job developer, mm -hmm. a standalone job developer. And that's mm -hmm. all they're going to do is go out into the community and job develop. Mm -hmm. And and so I wrote you guys and, and you gave us permission. You said, yeah, okay, give it a try. Give it a try. <laughs> of course, it would impact our fidelity score. Yeah. But you didn't say, no, not me, don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, but lo and behold, you know, a year later, we were like, yeah, I shouldn't have tried that. I should have just listened to what the uh -huh. Fidelity said. <laughs> um, but that yeah. brings us to job development because I will tell you, and I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, so you have a very specific model of how to job develop. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge game changer. So it, it has nothing to do with the population. So I currently work with... Um, individuals with an intellectual and developmental disability. So I have used, it's called Three Cups of Tea. I'm going to let you talk about it. Mm -hmm. I have trained Three Cups of Tea to our providers with that population across the state. Mm -hmm. And it is hands down the training that they, they were like, this changed my professional life. It's, it's mm -hmm. because there are no other methods. There's like suggestions and there's, but you have a very specific do a B you have a book that goes with it. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about one, the, the method very briefly, and then how you even came up with it? Yeah. Well, actually we need to give credit to Sarah Swanson because she used that name three cups of tea and outlined the method. And the thinking of three cups of tea is that, it takes really three cups of tea to get to know somebody and have a relationship. And the, the idea behind this method is that 
networking and getting to know employers and what they're looking for in who they hire is key. Uh, many jobs are not advertised, so going to the want ads or online, you're not going to, one, develop that relationship with the employer um, and know really what's out there. So three cups of tea. The first cup of tea is uh, IPS specialists will go ask a hiring manager or an employer if they could meet with them for 15, 20 minutes to learn more about the business, um, the kinds of people that they hire, who does well there, and um, and not even ask for jobs. I mean, it's we're, we tell people don't ask for a job because right. if you ask for a job and they, they say, well, we don't have any, then that ends the conversation. So um, the second cup of tea is when you have that 15, 20 minute, minute conversation with a hiring manager and start getting them talking about their business and their hiring practices and what are the different jobs that um, they have in the business. And so it's all about learning. It's all about getting the employer talking and excited. And then the third cup of tea and fourth and fifth are just continuing that relationship. And the the IPS specialist is thinking um, all along, they have somebody in mind, which is why they went to that employer in the first place, and they may decide, you know what, this is not the spot for Peter, mm -hmm. um, and that's fine. Um, they may continue to groom that relationship with the employer because there may be somebody else who's going to come along who has the same kinds of interests and, and skills. Um, but I think what happens is that people... Um, they're kind of scared about job development because they don't know what to say. They don't uh -huh. have the questions. They don't have an introductory statement. And so this method tries to give people the tools so they can feel confident and people get more confident the more they do it. Uh -huh. And so if you just have that lone job developer, the other people are going to say, "Oof, glad I don't have to do that. But, you know, they're going to miss out on all those all those jobs. Right. And it, it, it's so really is based on psychology. I, when I train it, I tell people, you know, this can be used for anything you will ever ask for. And I give the example. So, um, you know, I, I had a mentor and the first time I met, I met with him to say, will you be my mentor? And he, and he was like, yeah, absolutely. And the second time we got coffee, ironically, um, mm -hmm. and we just sat down and, and, talked about our professional paths up to that point and kind of got to know each other better. And then the third time we met, and this is, I am not making this up at all. The third time we met, we're in his office and he's like, so what are some projects you're working on? And I was, and I told him and he goes, what can I do to help you? Right. And so, mm -hmm. it, and that's that moment, that third time that somebody meets you, that they feel like, I know you, I trust you. Mm -hmm. What can I do for you? Or, or how can I help you? If I had asked him for help the first time I met, he would have been like, who are you and why are you talking to me? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so right. I was like, that's, that's three cups of tea right there. So right. It's, it's something that's, um, that can be used in, in our day to day life as well. That's a um, great example. Um, so you mentioned previously education and IPS. How does education fit in if somebody wants to go to trade school or go to college? Or Yeah. You know, when we first developed IPS, we focused on employment. But then over time, clearly education 
is a part of it and it's more likely a part for younger people right and and so um, that's what their their peers are doing as well and so education needs to be a part of IPS and we're actually we're doing a study now of young adults and we've um, we've gotten to know a lot of programs that serve young adults and we find that many of these people are going to school and have a job and so so education we 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 know that people, the more education they have, the better um, their salary is going to be and their life. And so we want people to graduate from high school. You know, we need IPS specialists talking to people about that. And then going forward, you know, um, training schools, certificate programs, there are all ways that people can move ahead in their careers. And we want we want IPS specialists to offer options to people and so education really is is extremely important and i'm i'm glad it's um clearly now so much a part of ips um more so than we started you know back in the 1990s mm -hmm. and do you find that young adults are very different from older adults in this population and well, outcomes or or goals or anything like that yeah you know i think um they sometimes change their minds a lot, you know, more one frequently. Day, yeah. One day they want to do this. The next day they want to do that. And they've got their social life and, you know, they're not, um, they're not easily contacted by a telephone. You know, we know we got to be texting these young people and we, we need to be interested in what, what's going on in their life to, for engaging young people, but they do want to work and they want to go to school and, um, and they are doing those things. Mm -hmm. So I think I think the education piece we haven't had a, a a good track record of research on that. And it's hard to you know what is the outcome that we're measuring? Completion you know of a whole program or is it of a course? Or so um, we're trying to think about that more. But we do have a fidelity scale for we developed it for young adults. And so it has a component now for supported education. It's up on our website um, if people want to see that, ipsworks.org. And um, so hopefully that will help people. And we also have a, um, a manual that we wrote a couple of years ago about helping young adults. But there's a big focus in that manual on education. Awesome. Anybody can go back to school. I mean, you don't have to be a young adult to do that, but right. we know those people are focused on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talk about changing times. I mean, when you think of, um, I'm almost 50, when you think of people my age and older, um, families, I think, didn't have a lot of expectations. It was common to put people in day treatment programs mm -hmm. where they went all the time. But this younger population, them and their families, have much higher expectations. Right, right. So, um, yes, thank goodness. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about the learning collaborative? What does that mean and who belongs to it? Okay, so... Um... It was initially the IPS learning community, but now it's the international IPS learning community that currently includes 24 states in this country and six other countries. This got started 
um, decades ago, actually, through a philanthropic gift of Johnson & Johnson. And um, that's very separate from their uh, companies and their pharmacies and uh, pharmaceutical companies. But they had never given um, before to anything in mental health and decided through the recommendation of the National Alliance on Mental Illness and NIMH that they should come talk to us. And they did. And they asked us to demonstrate that IPS is going to help people. So we did a small demonstration in three states, um, Connecticut, Vermont, and South Carolina. They had good outcomes. We made a video. And so they um, funded us through uh, 2000 and I think it was 14. They funded us for 15 years. And then... Um, and so what we did was they said, you know, you figure out what you want to do um, and we will provide the money for that. And so we fig we wanted a model of that was going to help um, expand IPS across our country as well as sustain the program. So we gave incentive money to states just a few at a time and we helped them with training. We help them uh, figure out what's the infrastructure to make this happen in in your state. So we did that with Tennessee, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you developed a state IPS team, and we asked that you have a partnership between the state mental health authority and state vocational rehabilitation. That was very intentional because we felt that that was a way to launch this and sustain it over time, that there are their funding sources, but also, um, you know, vocational rehabilitation. They know about jobs in the world of work. That's what they do. Um, they also know about a lot of different kinds of disabilities. So people with mental illness may have other illnesses going on. So it's good to have that expertise. And then they help with um, planning and they also have resources that people may um, need for supplies at work, uh, tools, um, uniforms, those kinds of things. So these two systems partner together to identify local sites, three to six, and have a trainer. They provide training. They collect simple outcomes that are part of the learning community. Um, it's up on our website. You can see the U.S. outcomes. And um, we we make sure that fidelity reviews are conducted and it just has continued to expand uh, a number of years ago johnson and johnson said well we have companies all over the world so let's let's go international with this and so that's when we then um italy spain and the netherlands came on board but um we also have um new zealand and in canada and so um parts of Montreal, um, we've tried to uh, keep expanding it. It's a big network, and, and I guess in my career, that's what I'm most proud of, that, that I've um, been able to help, um, help people communicate with each other and, um, and move forward through that vehicle. I, I have to, I don't know, I don't have to, but I'm going to pause and let you know how much IPS um, impacted my professional career. One, it, it opened my mind to, to 
you know, my own biases and things like that. Because like I said, the zero exclusion challenge, I think the first time you hear it like that challenges everybody. And then the other part was um, part of your fidelity scale is having a variety of jobs. And I found that like most teams, I think before they start something like IPS, we, we tend to funnel people into employers that are friendly to hiring individuals with disabilities. Um, and, and you actually get scored low if you have too many people working at one place. So at the our, our program usually placed, I don't know, between 40 and 55 people a year. And at the end of the year, we have a, a banquet. And on the back of our uh, program, we would have all the employers where our members were working. And like, you know, what, when I first started, we had, I don't know, eight, 10 employers. And then a couple years into doing IPS, we would have like 35 employers. And it's just a symbol of we were unknowingly not being person-centered, right? Because not mm-hmm. everybody didn't want to work at those same, you know, big employers. So, mm-hmm. so that really impacted me, um, you know, working with you guys. So, so anyway, it's just, I get uh, nostalgic. I miss IPS. I don't work with it much, much, although I'm still in contact with it in some ways. Um you guys also seem to have, and I don't know if you're aware of why, but you have a pretty strong relationship with SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Mm-hmm. A lot of their grants require IPS as a component. It, I was wondering, did they approach you or did how did that happen? How did that happen? I'm not exactly sure how that did happen. I mean, we've worked with people from SAMHSA, and um, they... You know, we have an annual meeting, and so I think they became educated about it and saw that they're, that IPS has good outcomes and that this is, you know, work is what people really want, mm-hmm. and it, it helps with their recovery. And so I think that um, many people at SAMHSA saw that and, and wanted to promote it, which um, has been extremely helpful for states. Yes, yes, because it gives additional funding for IPS programs or or just staff people. Um, Do you have any new strategies? Are you still evolving? I'd like to think we're still evolving. Um, You know, I think that's uh, an important part of our center, that we're always trying to learn from our research. Uh, I mentioned that we have just started a um, study for IPS for young adults. We're going to learn what works there, how much is different than than serving older individuals. Um, We we're currently in a uh, in the midst of a social security demonstration um, called the supported employment demonstration. And that's serving people who had had an initial denial um, for a um, social security application for an alleged mental illness. And so we're, we're dealing with a, a, a different population really and learning about that population. So uh, we're always learning. I think we're expanding the populations that are using IPS and, and are part of uh, studying those different populations. So I, I hope we um, are always continuing to learn and will um, modify and expand things as we do. And that is the end of the formal part. And now I'm going to ask you some personal questions. I always end with a few personal questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first 
have you had mentors? I, I mentioned one earlier. I just, I just have always strongly believed in mentors. Did you have any, even like going back to high school, college? Oh boy. Um, well, there are people that I looked up to. Uh, my father was one. He was a internist, a ph- physician. Um, he was a hard worker and um, dedicated to helping people. And I seem to have inherited some of those genes, I think. Um, and and then, uh, you know, in graduate school, there were um, professors that I uh, admired. And then really my long-term mentor and um, colleague as well as partner, um, Bob Drake, um, you know, had high expectations for me. And so I, I don't think I would have... Um, been able to do all the things that I have been able to do over time without his encouragement and support. So um, he, I guess, filled a lot of shoes for me. Yeah. Um, You mentioned how we all tend to change jobs or change our minds over years. When you were starting school, um, did you think you would be working in this field or working with research? Was that always your intent? No, no. You know, in college, I um, studied English and history. You know, then I graduated and thought, now what am I going to do? And I went and (laughs) I waitressed for, it lasted a month. That was as long as it went. Uh Um, I can remember serving the person French onion soup that was cold. I had forgotten to microwave it. It it was not a good scene. So I stopped that and and then... um, I got a job working at a state institution for people um, who have mental retardation. And uh, then I realized I needed to go back to school to do something other than that. And a friend of mine had gone into a program for rehabilitation counseling. And at the time, it was only one year. And I thought, that's perfect. You know, I want to get through. And because I, I guess I've always been one to um, learn through doing and uh-huh. working. And so that's what, that's how it all evolved. Um, you know, I used to like to keep track of um, data and numbers when I was an employment specialist, but um, maybe that gently led me toward working at the um, research center, but it's, it's been a good fit for me. Good. Well, we're glad you landed there. That's for sure. Um, and the last one, do you have any pets? I do. I have my, I have two dogs. Oslo, who you can see on our website under staffing. He comes to work with me every day. His brother stays at home because his brother is grumpy and we're not supposed to leave them alone together. So, <laughs> but <laughs> they, um, Oslo brightens many lives in this office, I think. So we have fun with him. Yes. Before we started taping, I told you I saw on the website that he's like a research assistant in training or some some yeah, title you've given. Right. It's like he's not just on the website, but he has a title. So Well, I didn't do that. I have to tell you, somebody else put that up there. For more information on individual placement support, please visit their website at ipsworks.org. That's ipsworks, one word, dot org. Make sure to follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube under The Landscape Podcast. If you'd like to leave a comment or suggestion, please email us at comments at thelandscapepodcast.com. And finally, 
Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave a review. See you next time.